Podcastle, episode 396, for December 29th, 2015. Spirits of the Wind by Brendan Detzner. Rated PG. Hello and welcome to Podcastle. I'm Rachel K. Jones, your co-editor and host. It is now that funny little space of time between Christmas and New Year's in many parts of the world, an odd little pocket where we're not actively celebrating anything, but the time still feels celebratory. It is, in fact, the time dubbed Yule in some traditions, or the Twelve Days of Christmas, or Twelve Tide in others. Yes, that Twelve Days of Christmas, like in the song... For many years now, I have a personal tradition each December where I reread Sir Gawain and the Green Knight, an Arthurian chivalric narrative poem written in the 14th century in a Northwest Midlands Middle English dialect. And it is, of all things, a Yuletide story, opening with a Christmas feast and a so-called Christmas game. Of course, in true Christmas spirit, this game is a beheading contest. You see... King Arthur has a tradition where he won't break his Christmas fast until he sees something wondrous. On cue, a strange knight who is completely green from head to toe, including his skin and beard, shows up, taunts and insults King Arthur and his court, and challenges someone to strike a blow against him with the axe he offers. The green knight promises to receive this blow without attempting to defend himself. However, in exchange, that person must swear to receive a blow in turn. In order to prevent Arthur's court from losing face, Sir Gawain takes up the challenge, reasoning, if he strikes a stranger hard enough, if he kills him, then he won't have to receive the return blow. The Green Knight bends down and offers his neck. Sir Gawain lifts the axe and brings it down with full force, beheading the Green Knight with one stroke whose head rolls across the floor. And then, something wondrous happens. The Green Knight's headless body walks over and picks up his own head, and that head tells Sir Gawain, Buddy, I'll see you at my court next year. (laughs) I won't ruin what happens next. Check it out for yourself. I'll link one of the free online translations from Project Gutenberg in the show notes. Today's story involves no beheading and no green knights, but it does contain something quietly wondrous. Podcastle is very proud to present Spirits of the Wind, written by Brendan Detzner, originally published in Brendan's short story collection Beasts, which is out as of this October. Brendan Detzner lives, works, and writes in Chicago. His work is sometimes funny, sometimes scary, and usually very strange. His work has appeared in Pseudopod, BizarroCast, Tales to Terrify, and other places. He still needs to get into Escapepod to complete the hat trick. Good luck with that, Brendan. Check out his story collection, Beasts, which today's episode comes from. Then he also runs a monthly reading series in Chicago called Bad Grammar Theater that you can check out at www.badgrammartheater.com. Your reader today is none other than Podcastle narrating legend Wilson Fowley. Wilson has been reading out loud since the age of four and credits any talent he has in this area to his parents, who are both excellent at reading aloud. 
He started narrating stories for more than just his own family in late 2008 when he answered a call for readers on the Podcastle forum. Since then, he's gone on to become Podcastle's most prolific narrator, reading or appearing in nearly 30 episodes. I think he's probably past 30 by now. He's also narrated for many other podcasts, including Podcastle sister podcasts Escape Pod and Pseudopod, as well as Starship Sofa and other District of Wonders podcasts, Beam Me Up, Cast Macabre, Doonstith Audio Fiction Magazine, and Journey Into Podcast. He fits in all this narrating between his day job as a web developer in Vancouver and being the director of a community show course called the Maple Lee Singers. Now let's dig up that number for our favorite jazz club and enjoy the story. Spirits of the Wind by Brendan Detzner Cat called for a tow truck and burned through most of the rest of her cell phone battery talking to Jessica. It was three o'clock in the morning. If the tow truck didn't show up, she was fucked. She was being stupid, but she felt like she was just going to be stupid right now. It was in her, waiting to come out. She could pick her moment, or let it surprise her. Cat. It was okay. It wasn't good. It wasn't bad. It was just okay. Jessica. I don't know how you can hang out at that place sober. I like to dance. It's not weird. Sometimes the guys there are cute, and sometimes it's an off night, but it's a place you can dance without having every asshole feel like they can grind on you. But you could be drunk. You're drunk now. It's three o'clock in the morning, and I picked up the phone. I did this for you, my dear. A tow truck pulled onto the shoulder in front of Cat's car. Tow truck's here. Go to sleep, beautiful. Tell me if the driver's cute. Cat hung up on Jessica. The driver got out of the cab, and Cat actually had to blink and think about it to figure out if she was so tired she'd become prone to suggestion, or if she was, in fact, looking at a cute tow truck driver. She decided to split the difference. He was definitely tall, she couldn't take that away from him, and he had a nice smile. Maybe she was giving him too much credit because she was grateful he showed up. She tried to think how she'd describe him to Jessica or anybody else. She searched her mind for comparisons and kept coming up with rappers and basketball players, and was embarrassed. She had nothing useful to tell him. Smoke, rattling, a sound that sounded like a hand grenade going off in a metal box. She was sad that her car had died. It was a piece of shit, but it had earned her loyalty. It had been on its last legs for a while now, and she'd spent the last year of her nursing program terrified that it'd break down at the wrong time and get her kicked out of school for a no-show, but somehow it had kept it together until now. He asked questions. He kept it short. It was cold out. He didn't hit on her. His name was Kevin. He gave her the choice of the back and passenger seats, and she took the front. Considering what he'd spent the night doing, it was amazing how clean the cab was. She looked over her shoulder into the back seat and saw a black backpack with a column of patches going down the side. One of them was round and blue and had the word gods written in white block letters with a clear red X going right through it. You're an atheist? Cat immediately wished she hadn't said that. She wasn't even sure exactly how rude she was being. Kevin stared straight ahead through the windshield. It seemed equally possible that he was throwing her shade and that he was just a careful driver. Oh, yeah, he smiled again. Careful driver. He was fine. He maybe thought it was kind of funny that she'd been so blunt. 
got straight on that a long time ago. There was something kind of Mr. Rogers about him. She couldn't imagine him raising his voice. She kept finding reasons to look at his face. Traffic was terrible. They could just barely see the emergency lights flashing in the distance and reflecting off the roofs of the cars in front of them. They rolled and stopped and rolled and stopped and had time to talk. Cat. I never went to church growing up, but I always knew we were Catholic. Kevin. Do you still think of yourself that way? I apologize if that's personal. I'm just curious, and this doesn't come up much. No, it's all right. I honestly don't know. It pisses me off when people say stupid shit about the church, but I have friends who are gay, and it pisses me off when I hear people say they're going to hell or whatever. That is what the church says. A lot depended on how he said that. If Cat had had the sense that he was coming after her, even a little, then that would be it. She wasn't going to blow up in the truck. She was a grown-up, and she could finish a conversation without losing her temper, but these would be the last words she would ever exchange with this man. But it wasn't like that. He wasn't setting a trap. He was just saying something that they both knew to be true and leaving it there. She tried to get him to talk about what his job was like and didn't have much luck. He kept turning it back around to her, and for some reason, once she got going about her own stuff, she couldn't shut up. Paperwork and doctors who thought they were gods, that made her think again about the backpack, but she didn't mention it. Old people who should have filled out a do-not-resuscitate, but never did and had cowards for relatives. God, I'm sorry. There's no way you actually want to hear about all this. I thought it was interesting. He said it just the same way, like it was obvious, like he knew that she knew already. She had to play the movie back in her head more than once to make absolutely sure he wasn't being patronizing. He wasn't. Do the people you pick up unload on you a lot? Not usually. You figure out how to shut that down pretty quick. I'm not a bartender. So you could have shut me down if you'd wanted to. She didn't decide to start flirting with him. It just kind of happened halfway through the sentence. He was driving, so he had an excuse for not answering her right away, but when he did answer, he tried to sound smooth, and it didn't quite work. I guess that must mean I didn't want to. Nice try, hotshot. She didn't think she'd be able to tell, because it was dark, and she didn't want him to see her blatantly turning her head to check, but she knew he was blushing. She fucking knew it. You will be receiving my phone number, you son of a bitch. This is fucking happening. They made it to the nearest exit, and he took side streets to a garage. He had a box of envelopes in his glove compartment. She put her keys in one of them, wrote her license plate and phone numbers on the back side, and slid it through the mail slot. Kevin gave her a clipboard with a form to fill out, and she did, and clipped a fast food receipt with her number on it under the form when she gave it back to him. He waited with her until the cab showed up. It pulled over to the curb and stopped when Cat raised her hand. Thank you so much, Kevin. You're very welcome. Hope the rest of your trip home goes more smoothly. I hope so, too. Good night. He nodded his head in a practiced way, got back into his truck, and left. She used her phone in the back of the cab as a reading light and took a look at her receipt. There was a note on the back with a phone number. The spirits watched from a nearby perch and were intrigued. They got a hold of each other the following evening. Kevin mostly worked second shift and had trouble changing his schedule on short notice, and Kat's situation wasn't much better. It was going to be a week and a half or so before there was a Wednesday night that worked for both of them. 
A further complication was that Cat lived in Berwyn, and Kevin lived on the south side, and that Cat was still carless. Kevin suggested that she take the train, but she'd never done that before, and didn't want to make this her first time. So then he offered to come and get her. It was breaking the rules to let a guy she'd just met pick her up and take her somewhere she wasn't familiar with, but the other option was to wait until she replaced her car and she didn't want to let things cool off, so breaking the rules it was. The only problem with that, aside from the possibility that this whole thing was an awful lapse in judgment and they were going to find her body in a dumpster somewhere, was that it made it even more important for her to tell Jessica what was going on so that she could get her safety calls set up. Kat loved Jessica, and she knew Jessica could keep secrets when it came to the big stuff, but for anything short of that, lips were gonna flap. Which was why everybody had heard the news at the party at the apartment on Friday. The party wasn't even all that well attended. You'd think they'd gossip about people who weren't there, but instead it was pile-on Catherine night for whatever reason. Kat had lived in the apartment with Jessica and Rena, and had only just moved out a few months ago. The place was laid out like a boxcar, three big common rooms with no doors separating them, and three tiny bedrooms sticking out of each one. Everybody was in the kitchen, which was the smallest room in the whole place. Kat's room had been the one closest to the entrance, and it was full of boxes and furniture right now. Just looking at the closed door made Kat feel sad, so she sat on the floor with her back to the wall, facing away from it. She had a red plastic cup on the floor next to her left hip, full of orange juice and not too much vodka. She was surprised how fast she'd caught herself missing the time that she lived here. She knew that she and Jessica and Rena had been driving each other crazy all cooped up together, and she remembered climbing up to the third floor and down again, and how she thought she was going to slip and fall on the ice each winter when the landlord never laid down salt, and she missed it anyway, and could anticipate feeling herself looking back and missing it more and more. A simple thing, gone now. The truth which she knew and thought everybody in the room had to know too, was that this had been a big year. They'd reached the top of a hill and were on their way down, and some of them were heading towards other hills and maybe some of them weren't. People's parents were dying, guys were going bald, girls were covering up tattoos and using concealer. Mike, who was always a little crazy and fun to have around and who liked to drink, wasn't around anymore and still liked to drink and probably was drinking out there somewhere. Cat missed him, but she knew it was better that he was gone. She couldn't afford to be around a guy like that any more. Cat remembered Evelyn. Evelyn was Jessica's little sister's friend, who was cool, and Cat liked even though she was a little younger than everybody else. She hadn't seen Evelyn in a long time, and then a picture pops up on the Book of Face, and boom, Evelyn has a two-year-old and Daddy doesn't seem to be around so no more Evelyn either. On one hand, it made Cat more tolerant of her friends. She wanted to hold them close, even if they were being assholes. On the other hand, now at this very minute, they were being assholes. His name was Kevin, not Tow Truck Driver. She even told them his name, which she hadn't even been planning to do, and they weren't using it, weren't taking the gift. Matt was dishing it out the worst, but it bothered Cat the least coming from him. Matt was an accountant. 
He could be profoundly obnoxious and got worse when he was drunk, but at least you didn't have to guess what he was thinking and knew his jokes weren't usually funny, and he did things. He was the guy you could call when you needed a ride to the hospital. He was somebody you wanted around, despite the shit he actually said. So you're dating a working-class black man. Congratulations. Nobody will ever be able to give you shit for not going to college ever again. They'll be like, I'm a socialist, and I'm getting my doctorate in oppression theory, and you can be like, I have a real job and my boyfriend's black. Victory is yours. For example, he finished his beer to celebrate his victory. Jessica laughed nervously. Cat decided to be diplomatic and just lifted an eyebrow. Everybody else was put into an awkward place, Rena and Rena's redhead friend who Cat didn't know, and all the boys. Somehow the whole thing sidestepped into Cat and Kevin's specific plans for the evening. Cat found herself getting very defensive very quickly, without quite knowing why. Restaurant? Music? It didn't seem all that complicated. Rena smirked. What's the restaurant? Korean. Matt came back in. So, what is the over-under on getting into a woman's panties after you take them to a Korean and at this point Matt had exceeded his credit with Kat and she was hitting him harder than playfully in the head with a Tupperware container? Jessica asked for the container once Kat was done and Kat obliged her. Everybody laughed, but Matt got it. He shut up. Rena still wanted details. What's the music? Who are you going to see? Cat thought again about shutting this down and forcing a change of subject. There was some vulnerability here. But she wanted to talk about it for just that reason. It'd be better if it was just her and Rena and Jessica, and maybe even Matt, and not five other people in the room. But she was not a delicate flower. It was here to be talked about. She'd talk about it now. We're going to a jazz club? Her voice lifted at the end, like she wanted to make that a question, but wasn't sure which way to go. Jessica picked it up right away, took some of the weight. That sounds kind of fancy. I mean, is it? I don't know, actually. Cat. I don't think it's fancy like expensive. I don't actually know what it's going to be like, though. A guy Cat didn't know, sitting next to the redhead friend of Rena's, maybe her boyfriend? He had his hair parted to the side and gelled firmly into place, and he was wearing flannel. The best place to see jazz in the city is the Green Mill. He wasn't offering an opinion. He was the expert. All present were supposed to accept that. Cat wondered if it was too late to call Matt back in. She also wondered if that's what she had waiting for her when she actually went to this place, a room full of experts rolling their eyes at how stupid she was. She couldn't imagine Kevin in a place like that, but there was always the possibility that she was wrong. The party found other things to talk about. For a moment, somebody was going to bring up Evelyn, and God, Cat did not need to discuss Evelyn tonight. But the subject hopped from that to somebody's wedding invitations. It was someone Cat didn't know, someone they all knew from high school. Cat meant to stay all night. She really wanted to go crazy. But at around two o'clock, she could feel herself fading out, and she had to admit it hadn't really happened tonight anyway. She hugged all her hugs and took the stairs back down to the street. She'd told them all that she had a loner, but that was a lie. She'd taken the bus. It was a first for her. She'd been embarrassed when she'd told Kevin that she'd never taken public transportation, so she'd done something about it. 
and now the pace buses weren't running, so she walked home. It wasn't a short walk, and it was cold out, fall stretching its muscles, but she didn't mind. Being alone like this reminded her what it had been like for her before, and for a long time, and that things really were better now. And it also reminded her it wasn't anything she hadn't dealt with before, nothing to be scared of. And it was nice for its own sake, all the quiet houses and the big dark sky, all the stars shining somewhere up there through the light pollution. Not all the time, but in small doses. She took the Circle Avenue Bridge over the expressway. The sidewalk got so skinny near the top of the bridge that she had to tightrope one foot in front of the other, but there was no traffic. Forty-five minutes later, she was climbing the stairs. She felt something warm and solid when she stepped through the door. Her place. All hers. The secret treehouse she'd always wanted. Her first draft of the apartment had been very grown up and boring, and then she'd had dinner at Jessica's house, and Jessica's mom had made an offhand comment about how it was really the most childish thing to worry too much about seeming childish. It hadn't even been directed towards Cat, but she'd taken it and run, and now Jareth the Goblin King hung on one wall, and a reprint of the poster from the Dark Crystal hung on the other. Cat wished she had somebody to give her advice like that. Jessica's parents told her she was like family, and that was precious and important, but also something Cat had heard before, more than once. The distance between like family and family could be a long way to travel. Cat pressed two fingers to her lips and gave Jareth a kiss goodnight on her way to her bedroom. Not the same thing as a cute tow truck driver, but she'd let her dreams sort it out for the next few hours. She went to bed. Outside her bedroom window, a black bird perched on a nearby tree. It watched as Cat's eyes closed and didn't fly away until it was sure she was dreaming. Kevin called her on Tuesday night to make sure they were still on. She was just getting off work and exhausted, but knew he was probably right in the middle of his shift. It was raining, working its way towards hail. She wasn't going to complain about her own deal right now. "'I'm looking forward to it,' said Cat, talking about dinner. That was true. She still was. "'Glad to hear. So am I.' Cat could hear squealing brakes and horns in the background. "'Is that you?' "'Not quite.' If that lady had taken another second to wake up, I'd be in a great position to drag away whatever was left of her Audi, though. You're like a superhero. That's mostly how people think of me. Anyway, I've got to go. Glad to hear we're still on. Likewise. Stay safe. Cat wondered at that last bit. It wasn't something she usually said. When they finally did see each other again, it didn't feel as if much time had passed since the last time they spoke. He picked her up. He drove an old patched-together American car, but he was dressed nice. He could pull off a silk shirt without looking like a junior high kid going to his first dance, which was a trick, really. She got in, and they continued their conversation. They talked about work and the shitty weather. They got into a long jag talking about customers, not the word Cat usually used talking about patients, but it took root in her mind the more often she heard him say it. They traded stories. The guy with a lump the size of a baseball in his back, who didn't think a staph infection was as big a deal as the doctor said it was. The lady who drove to Indiana and back with her parking brake on and realized that, you know what, that was an odd smell. They made it to the restaurant. It wasn't crowded. 
Their waitress was an elderly Asian lady that traded a smile with Kevin like they were well acquainted but wouldn't make eye contact with Cat. They ordered. Cat finished with her staph infection story. Kevin talked about his uncle refusing to make even the slightest change to his lifestyle despite a belly that made it hard for him to walk, and that led them into talking about family. I don't have one, Cat said. It was the first time she'd seen Kevin thrown off by anything she'd said. It wasn't a big reaction, he just looked confused. I never met my parents. I grew up halfway in one foster care thing, then that fell apart and I finished up in another foster care thing. Kevin reacted the way just about everybody did. She could hear his wheels spinning up clips from a million TV news horror stories. She tried to cut that off as quickly as she could, getting into the house and closing the door behind her as fast as you could so the bugs didn't get in. Nothing horrible. I wasn't abused. It just sucked. The second home actually had good people who wanted to be good to me, but I was so pissed off by then I wasn't able to take advantage of it. Kevin was still chewing on that. She hated it, that when she said the simple facts about her life it was something people had to accept and not just believe. Even if they didn't think she was full of shit, she had to watch them decide, and they didn't always believe her. Sometimes there was a polite smile, and she could read what they were thinking on their foreheads like a movie projected onto a screen. She's a selfish bitch. She wants attention. She's ungrateful. She's making it sound worse than it was. Kat saw the waitress coming over with their food, and knew that once it arrived they'd be eating and talking about what they were eating. The subject would be changed. He'd have to adjust. This was her last chance, to know, to see what he really felt. "'I'm surprised.' Kevin finally said, you seem to have it together so well. I wouldn't have guessed. She looked at every inch of his face, closely. For a few seconds she suspended every worry she might have about looking creepy. The verdict decided upon as the waitress reached the table, Kevin was still really fucking handsome. Also, it was maybe kind of hard for him to accept, but he didn't think she was a drama queen. He felt sorry for her, and he was curious about the details, but he didn't want to make her uncomfortable, so he was trying to keep it low-key. It was a lot to read into a few moments, but as far as she could tell, even adjusting for optimism, this person she'd allowed to pick her up in his car was a good investment of her time. Dinner was served. Cat hadn't actually had a very clear picture of what it was she was ordering. As it happened, the spread was mostly dumplings and things to dump them in, and the distinction between what he'd ordered and what she'd ordered quickly became a thing of the past. They talked in between eating, dip, bite, chew, sentence, dip, like that. Cat wanted to turn it around and talk about Kevin's family. It obviously wasn't his favorite subject, but he obliged her. To me, it feels like I don't see them that much anymore special occasions, weddings, and funerals. So you do get to see everybody, though. I do, but not as much as they see each other. I have a feeling your standards about this might be a little different than mine. They haven't disowned me, but there's a wall there. Do you wish there weren't? He stopped and thought about that, and Cat just waited. Usually she'd feel bad asking about something so personal, but she felt like she had money to spend after talking about all of her shit, and she wanted to know. Not even about his family specifically, she just wanted to poke around and see what was there. When he answered her question, it wasn't casually. She didn't think he was hiding anything, at least nothing important, but he'd put some thought into the presentation. 
I think that most things in life are negotiations, and that if you're not willing to walk away from something, you're not negotiating, you're just asking how much you're going to pay. My dad raised seven kids with strong personalities and kept them safe, and even when things between me and him were at their worst, I never stopped respecting him for that. But his way of operating doesn't fit with my way of operating anymore. You don't negotiate with him. No, you do not. You don't even ask him how much he wants to take ahead of time. You'll know when he tells you. He don't need to tell you shit ahead of time. Kevin stopped for a second, closed his eyes, and took a breath. He had a little smile on his face when he looked at her again. He thought he was being tolerated, and he appreciated it, even as he regretted its necessity. Of course, that's how he kept all seven in line and out of trouble, so it's not like I can argue with it. As far as he's concerned, even if he loses one, he's got six more. Cat wanted to tell him that she was sure his father didn't feel that way, but that was, of course, bullshit— she had no idea how Kevin's father did or did not feel, and she should take Kevin at his word like he took her at hers. But that meant she had to say something else. She thought of only one joke. I have no idea what your dad looks like, but I'm imagining him with a beard right now. He thought that over, and it was like watching a coin spin in the air. No way to call it until it hit the floor. It came down. Kevin laughed and his smile changed channels to something brighter. He thought she was funny. He doesn't, actually, but you've got the idea. He's got a beard and one eye and a staff and an eagle. Talk to me when you cut your eye out and sacrificed it to the world tree for knowledge of all things. Otherwise, keep your damn mouth shut and do as I say. Portions were generous, so there was plenty of food left, but they were both slowing down. Conversation turned to the music they were going to hear. I'm actually a little worried about that, Kevin said. It's kind of my automatic place for first dates. That way, even if I don't get along with the girl, I still caught a set at the velvet. I only suggested that we go there out of habit, and I'm worried that it won't be your thing and you'll be too polite to tell me. It's not like that. I'm curious about this now. And we don't have to stay the whole time. They play for a while, then they take a break, then they play some more, right? Yeah, there's more than one set. I'll stay for the first set. If it's not for me, I'll tug on your sleeve, and that'll be your cue to look pleased with yourself while you escort me out. She didn't get a blush this time, but she was fine with it. It would be too much to ask for. Sounds like a plan, Catherine. He smiled again. Handsome boy smiling. All night Cat had been trying to keep score, and as of right now she had no idea who was winning. She went to the bathroom so she could text Jessica, and then they left the restaurant. They went from the restaurant to the Velvet Lounge. Cat made fun of the name. She thought it sounded like a strip club, but that just made Kevin get quiet, and she realized she was on dangerous territory and stopped. This was sacred. The way Kevin was acting, she was expecting a temple on a mountaintop. In fact, it was a bar. She could have driven around the block over and over again and seen the sign for the club ten times and not think of it as anything else. Kevin parked on the street and they went in. An elderly man in a black leather hat and suspenders was sitting on a stool just inside the door. His back was curved forward. He reminded Cat of a bird sitting on a wire. Kevin paid the cover for both of them. Kevin smiled, but the man at the door in the black hat didn't smile back. He wasn't being unfriendly. He wasn't even checked out. He just was where he was. 
There was a narrow passage between the bar and the wall, and at the end of it Cat could see a cramped platform, the stage. Posters, records, shelves with stacks of CDs, dust in thin layers over glass, and entrenched piles in the corners. There was a brass chandelier hanging from the ceiling that cleared the top of Cat's head by less than a foot. Cat saw many pictures of the man from the door playing a saxophone, eyes closed and hunched over, the curve of the instrument fitting him like a puzzle piece. She glanced back over her shoulder at him, the physical him, the person. He was still at the entrance, collecting money, saying very little. They turned the corner. The seats were all up against the wall, behind a table, and Cat didn't see how people could leave without climbing over each other's laps. Some more people arrived, tourists from Poland directed here from the hotel attached to the convention center a quarter mile east. The band, a trio, appeared from somewhere in the back, stepping over and moving sideways. The drummer and the bass player smiled at each other like old friends. The guy with the saxophone was younger than them and seemed nervous. He had a stern expression on his face like he was about to stand up to somebody. The rhythm section began at about the same time, lazy and deliberate, leaving room to roam. The horn player closed his eyes and picked a moment to start. Thinking about it later, Cat would remember a phrase from a math class she thought she'd thrown away a long time ago. Exponential growth. A steep curve, a heart monitor rushing towards a beep. She felt slightly better, like maybe this would be survivable, then she was curious about what was coming next. Then she had to admit she kind of liked it. And then her heart broke, cracked like an egg, and the missing space between and below her shoulders was filled with light. They didn't leave until two o'clock in the morning, and in the breaks between the music she said almost nothing and found herself more than once with her smaller hand resting on top of Kevin's larger one. They listened to B-96 on the drive back to Berwyn at Cat's request, although Kevin insisted that he understood and that he usually did the same thing. It's a palate cleanser, he said. It just feels good to hear something silly. It's a light wine after a heavy meal. Yeah. Cat tried to think of something clever to say, but came up blank, and Kevin was kind enough to keep the conversation moving. You did like it? You seemed to, and you didn't tug my sleeve, but you didn't say much either. I liked it. I really liked it. I just don't know what to say. It makes me feel dumb that this was going on all this time and I had no idea. I don't have the words. I know how you feel. And again, how he said this was absolutely critical. He was not patting her on the head, neither was he overreaching. He said he knew how she felt because he was pretty sure that he did. It had started snowing and stopped again while they were in the club. Early November, and it was snowing. Chicago. It gave them something to talk about other than the music when it came time to back away from that. The roads were slippery. Kevin took his time on the expressway and gave the drunks their space. They made it back to Cat's building in one piece. I had a great time tonight, Cat said. I'm really glad I ran into you. You don't kiss him on the first date. Of course you don't. Cat was even tempted to say it out loud, just to put her actions into context. But she didn't, not just because she didn't want to give him time to say anything himself. She unlocked the passenger side door, reached over to Kevin, slid her middle and pointer fingers between the second and third buttons of his silk shirt, pulled him towards her, and kissed him. 
little bit of tongue, just a touch. She pulled away. He leaned slightly forward without thinking. She smiled like the cat at the canary. Got you now. She stepped out of the car. Kevin didn't say anything. He just watched her go. Cat locked the door to her apartment behind her. She was vibrating. Holy shit, that was a good date. Holy shit. Holy shit. She looked out her third-floor window, out at all the other windows. Each one a little window to a little world, with things going on she couldn't even guess at. She lay down on the couch, watched an episode of Adventure Time to help herself relax, and went to bed. Even laying there with her head on her pillow, she felt like she was floating three feet off the ground. She tried to remember what the music had sounded like, even just a few notes strung together. It was harder than she thought it was going to be. It was already like remembering yesterday's dreams. But she remembered the end of a drum solo, crashing and roaring like water, and then everything got simple, boom, 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 keeping it steady long after she'd have expected him to start mixing it up. Somebody in the audience yelling an approval, and the bass player smiling and wiping sweat from his forehead. She held on to it as she fell asleep. The spirits descended on Cat's apartment from every direction. It had happened before. A few times, actually, when something had happened big and sharp and bright enough to stop the show and pull back the curtain. The first time she'd had sex that was good. The time she'd dropped acid. The time she'd been in a car accident and her car had flipped and for a moment she was upside down in the air with a half a ton of metal and plastic and glass between her and the earth. He couldn't come and see her any time he felt like it. It would defeat the purpose of the whole thing. But every so often she could come up for air, or more exactly he could pull her up. Catherine found herself sitting on a silver throne, surrounded by dark grass. Her first thought was that somehow she'd woken up in the middle of a golf course, but just as quickly she began to remember. She knew where she was. She'd been here before. It was just taking her a while to wake up. When she looked up, she saw the stars. Not the stars, not the ones she knew, just stars. These stars weren't like the ones she saw looking out her window, or even like the ones she'd sought out, the sky she saw from the middle of the cornfield when she'd driven as far from the city as she could get. The stars she knew were all the same color. These were red and blue and pink and purple and orange. Some were big and some were little, and they were all perfect circles. She heard him before she saw him. He rode to her on a stag with burning horns. Even from a distance she could feel the earth shake each time a hoof came down, and as it approached her the sound was like cannons roaring. He got closer. She'd been wrong. He hadn't been riding anything. The horns were his. He had burning horns and long hair and eyes that turned the world inside out when you looked into them. He'd come alone. He could just as easily have brought his retinue, the four winds, or the seven fires, or a flock of his black birds. It's time, he said. Come home. I don't know who you are, 
she said, even though she already knew that wasn't true. You've had your time, he said, your great adventure. You insisted, and I relented. You were an infant, left in a doorway, and then you were a girl, angry as she realized she didn't have a mother and father like the other girls. And then you were a woman, desperately trying to make up for lost time and all the doors that slammed shut before you even knew they were there. I appreciate now why you wanted to do it. You wanted to go further and deeper and higher. You've experienced things only human beings ever get to experience. It was something new. But this is the time to stop. The best is behind you. The rest is only pain and decay. And now the spell had worn off briefly, and she knew who she was again. She was enormous. She breathed in and out, and her interior swelled with constellations and black holes. I'm not finished yet she said. I don't want to stop until it's over. You can't pretend to not know how it ends. Not now. Not from here. She got comfortable. She turned herself sideways in the golden chair so that she could dangle her feet off the armrest on one end and tilt her head back over the other and look up at the sky. You miss me that much? A sly smile. Of course I do. If someone else had taken you from me like this, I would extinguish the sun that gave them light. I miss you too, and I love you, and I'm not finished yet. It won't be much longer, less than a century, maybe much less. You can afford to be patient. Matt is in love with you. He'll never have the courage to tell you, and he'll never have the strength to let it go. Your presence will make him more and more miserable, until he either vanishes from your life quietly, or makes a fool of himself. He'll make a scene at your wedding reception, or make a drunken pass at you after you're married. Or he'll say something unforgivable to Kevin, and you'll refuse to be in the room with him ever again. One person— a thread attached to many memories. All those parties, everywhere you look, there he'll be. And he won't be the only one. It was ingrained in you by the time you were twelve years old. You will have new best friends forever, every seven years, for the rest of your life, until you notice the pattern and start to wonder if it's even worth the trouble." Are you trying to hurt my feelings? Still smiling. I'm trying to spare you all of this. I know, and understand. You're waiting for me. It's sweet, but there are things I want to see and feel, even if they're not perfect. The music you heard tonight made you feel like you were connected to something bigger than yourself— but it was made with strings and air blowing through metal. The people playing the instruments look at you and envy you for having a regular paycheck, and pity you for holding a normal job, and fear that you'll stop paying attention to them. And that's when they think of you at all. 
It's an illusion. It makes you think it's something it's not. She got up and walked towards him, sweet and slow. You're trying too hard now. His eyes flashed. How dare she? And then he conceded the point. He deflated. The sky gently changed color. I'm not used to it. Trying. I do. I create. I destroy. I rarely have to convince. I'm no better myself. It's a difficult thing to explain. It's not even hope. I just want things to keep going. Maybe you should try it next. We'd have something to talk about. She laughed and reached over to stroke his tricep. I could swoop down on you and tempt you from your mortality again and again as you get older. I might enjoy that. She kissed him and pulled away again. I'll wake up soon. We'll be together. Be patient, my love. He smiled back at her, but even as she disappeared he was thinking, No, I'm not patient. Cat awoke and forgot herself. Her body was heavy. She'd been dreaming hard. She was left with the feeling that her brain had been steam-cleaned. Second shift today. She had some time. She also had some errands to run, but that wasn't happening. She devoted her morning to Netflix. Work was rough. She barely had time to eat. She came home with a headache. She had an unread text. She lay down on her couch and held her phone over her with the screen facing down. The text was from Kevin. He'd had a great time. She texted him back and got a response right away. They traded notes. She felt like she was passing pieces of paper to him in French class. She was glad to hear from him, and equally glad he wasn't calling her. She wasn't up for a conversation right now. He wanted to know when she had a day off next. Maybe if she was free Tuesday night and didn't have to work Wednesday and didn't mind staying up late, she'd like to see some more music. Or they could grab a movie or something if she didn't feel like doing the same thing twice in a row. Twice in a row. Cat observed her mind from a pleasant distance as it swan-dived into the gutter. She snapped out of it. Music was good. Music would be very good. She texted him back. Tuesday night it was. Tuesday night. Kevin drove to the suburbs. It was tough hearing that in his head. What are you doing right now? Put it in words. I'm driving to the suburbs. You're driving to the suburbs? Yes, I am. What the hell are you doing there? Imaginary Kevin dug in his heels and looked the voice in its invisible eye. Her name's Cat. It's short for Catherine. I like her. Enough from you for right now. He pulled up in front of her building and waited for her to come on down. Down she came, on time. Second time, not a minute late. Just thinking about that gave him butterflies. He wondered if that meant he was boring. He watched her as she slowly walked towards his car. He wasn't bored, anyway. They took the 290 back east and talked. The crazy she had to deal with at work... Another thing, everybody complained about their job, but her complaints involved people dying. It was easier to take seriously. Gave way to jokes about a billboard advertising a strip club, which gave way to talking about where they were going. 
I had somebody at work tell me that I couldn't go to this place, Kat said. Like, I said where it was generally, and she got all suspicious and asked for the address. Then she just flat out said I couldn't go. It was like I'd told her I was going to go try out heroin this weekend. Did she tell you why exactly? Third thing on what was becoming a long list, you could ask Kat point-blank questions like that, and she didn't freak out. It was 75th Street. That's it. This might be a weird question, but was she old? Old enough to think she's my mother, apparently. There were times when Kevin didn't know when he was seeing three steps ahead and when he was just seeing things. He'd gotten it wrong in the past, both ways, more than once. Kat was saying that she didn't care what she'd been told, that she didn't believe it, but you don't say things like that if they're not at least on your mind. He searched his mind for the word. Dialectic. There it was. He took the ramp south. Kat was back to talking about work. He tried not to stay so far tuned out that she'd catch him not listening, but he was really thinking about the best route to take to get to the club. Kat's fake mom wasn't completely mistaken. They were, in fact, going to have to push their way through at least three blocks worth of unmistakable ghetto. Kevin had actually grown up only about a mile away from here, but it was an important mile. He readjusted as he took the off-ramp. For all he knew, she'd see the block and the house he grew up in and scream in terror. There was nothing he could do about what she might or might not think. Besides, there was a decent enough chance that this would be quick and painless. They made it to the street. He saw it with fresh eyes. As it turned out, it was all in the windows. Big yellow restaurant on the corner selling hamburgers and Italian beef out of a little glass window they could slide shut in less than a second. Windows boarded up, a pawn shop with cages around the outside big and thick enough to seem like parodies of themselves. They stopped at a light. Another window, this time the passenger side window of the car parked at the curb next to them, closer to Cat than to Kevin. Somebody'd kicked it in, and the inside of the car was covered with little blue tinted squares. The light took forever to turn green. A homeless guy crossed the street in front of them, taking his time and blocking their path while he did it. Kevin realized Cat had stopped talking. Of course he'd known that, it just hadn't soaked through. On some deep level, one past his conscious control, he quit. Either he'd fucked up, or just been unlucky, or he'd somehow defied the book of fate he didn't believe in but still haunted his thinking. He would go through the motions, he wouldn't curl up and die, but this was a doomed enterprise. He passed the new apartment lounge and found a parking space not that far away from the bar. Cat got out. She walked past another car and stopped for a second when her eye caught a flyer under the windshield wiper of another car. Bright purple letters that were drawn to look like they were both chrome-plated and airbrushed. Grown and sexy, steppin' party. Smiling lady in a long, dark purple dress and a prominent ass. Kevin looked back up from the flyer to Cat's face. A lot depended on what he saw. Two main ways it could go wrong. She could be scared, disgusted, offended, some combination of those. He could understand being uncomfortable in this neighborhood, or with entering a bar she'd never been in before with a strange man she'd only recently met. But if a piece of paper under a car windshield was more than she could take, then this was just not going to work no matter how hard either one of them tried. And in the other direction, 
she could think it was too funny. Oh my God, look at those dumb people having a good time. Neither of those two things happened. There wasn't a lot there. She wasn't smiling, but there wasn't much else. I'm right here, she said without saying it. I haven't been here before, but I'm here right now, and for the moment I'm just taking a look around. All right, then. Kevin decided he could deal with that. He got back on the horse. Let's go see the band. He led, and she followed. The new apartment lounge had white walls and giant mirrors and a sky-blue bar that curved one way and then another like something from the Jetsons. Kevin saw Kat scan the room, probably looking for music stuff, but no posters on the walls here. At first glance, and on second glance, this was a nicer place than the Velvet. There was more space, it was cleaner, but nothing new had been added to it in decades. Kevin had explained the basics already. Von Freeman is an amazing saxophone player, and he's in his seventies, and he makes the other three guys in the band who are half his age struggle to keep up with him. But he suddenly felt like he'd been negligent, that he had more stories to tell, and stories to explain the stories, and that in the absence of these things she was going to get the wrong idea somehow. Years into the past, and Kevin's here for the first time, he turned twenty-one two weeks ago, he's sitting at the bar, balancing on a stool that's wobbly and a little too small for him, the youngest person in the room. He's worried that he stands out, he's worried he's in the wrong place. Vaughn arrives, everybody greets him, and he greets everybody. He starts a conversation with somebody directly behind Kevin, so that Kevin can't get up from his seat without saying something or pushing somebody out of the way. He feels trapped. He wonders if he's made a mistake. Von Freeman reaches out, puts his hand on Kevin's shoulder, and squeezes once gently. That's it. Doesn't say a word, doesn't look him in the eye. And Kevin feels better. The absolute last thing in the world that he would have expected. Thinking about it now, it was still hard to understand. It couldn't have been something Vaughn had been thinking about. It was a split-second decision, and the side of it that the old man had come down on had involved crossing a line. You couldn't just go randomly touching strangers in bars, even if you were a senior citizen and the guy leading the band. But in that moment, he'd seen what had been called for, done it, and then gone about his business. Like throwing a basketball over his shoulder and not having to bother to look and see that it had gone in. Vaughn would also flirt with anything with tits, which made Kevin a little nervous because he wasn't sure how Cat would react to that, but not too nervous because he'd never actually seen a woman get pissed off at Vaughn no matter what words came out of his mouth. It wasn't just that he was so old or that everybody in the room was there to see him. He picked his targets. He'd been doing it for long enough that he probably didn't even need to think over his moves. He'd once seen Vaughn try to get a white girl sitting at the bar to come up and sing. She had her giant Russian boyfriend next to her, a man who would not have readily fit into a refrigerator. "'I don't sing,' the girl said, trying to be all business and smirking despite herself. "'All those legs and you don't sing?' Her face froze into a mask, but the mask was smiling. "'You wouldn't even have to be good,' Vaughn continued. The giant boyfriend reached up to scratch his neck and looked down at the floor ruefully dude was seventy-five. What are you gonna do? And of course, Cat saw none of that. Even if Kevin told the story, he wouldn't do it right. She wouldn't see it the way it was. He couldn't paint the picture. 
He heard his father's voice start up in the back of his mind, and he shouted it down one more time. Not now. I'm in the middle of something. They sat at the bar. Cat momentarily tried to chat up the bartender, but the bartender's main qualification was that she could project very quickly that no bullshit would be permitted anywhere in a fifty-foot radius of where she was standing, and she was not a conversationalist. They got drinks. Cat looked around. Kevin watched her looking around. There was a narrow space by the window, covered by a dark blue carpet where a band might fit, and there was no sign that musicians had ever actually been there or were ever going to show up. Four ladies in back were getting sauced and leaning in close to each other and periodically exploding in hoots and laughter. Cat turned back towards Kevin. She was doing the same over-cheerful thing she'd stuck with when she'd gone into the velvet for the first time the other night. She asked him about his day. He couldn't think of a single goddamn thing he'd done today that was interesting, but he did the best tap dance he could for half an hour. The band showed up, the main man a minute later than the others. There were a few, Hey, Vonsky! calls, and he was polite, but he wasn't in full extrovert mode right now. He was saving his energy. Kevin watched Cat watching again, watched her wonder how the old man she was looking at could possibly match up with the description Kevin had given her on the drive over. There was a television in the far corner of the other half of the bar, separate from where the music was. Kevin was in just the wrong spot, and he could see a Mexican soap opera swirl around in his peripheral vision. Sometimes, when he was trying his hardest to ignore it, he got the feeling of an eye turning from the television set towards him. It was never there when he looked. Of course, he wasn't crazy. The music started playing. Vaughn was the first one to make a sound. Something pretty, a ballad. It rose to the ceiling and dropped to the floor without losing its shape, and it ended without ending, and the rest of the band came in. Kevin split his attention between the music and Cat watching the music. She was completely locked in. His heart did jumping jacks. Boom! She's into it. Twice in a row. Nothing about this is bad. It wasn't even the second set yet. The television was still dancing in color, but it was easy for Kevin to ignore. Until suddenly, it wasn't. He looked up at the screen. A man with burning horns was looking back down at him. Kevin was transported. The man with the burning horns looked down into a marble cistern full of clear blue water. Suspended in the water, clear and delicate, was an image of the bar, the band, and the audience. Kevin looked and saw himself at the bar and Cat next to him. The two of them, not them, himself and her, it was hard to accept seeing it from a distance, were leaning in close. They looked like a couple. It was surreal. He looked up from the water and looked around. It was late at night and very dark. Cold grass under his feet. Outside the circle of light coming from the other man's head, there were only the stars, which Kevin couldn't look at. If he did, he knew that he would pop like a balloon. He already could tell that something was wrong. He shouldn't be here, the same way he shouldn't be at the bottom of the ocean or in the vacuum of outer space. I was going to tear apart your mind, 
the man with the burning horns said, without looking up. But now that I actually have you here, that just seems petty, and it would serve no purpose anyway. Falling in love with a madman would just be another step on her journey. Even if I killed you, you're not really the problem. How could you be? How could someone like you possibly compete with someone like me? Kevin didn't feel prepared to argue the point, and even less so when the man with the horns looked up and turned towards him. Explain to me why you keep going. I'm coming to understand why she does it, but not you. You are insecure. You see the world and your place in it clearly. Why do you keep moving forward? Kevin didn't have an answer. You have no idea, the man with the horns said. It just happens, Kevin answered. He felt like a little kid. The man with the horns turned back towards the water. I would catch hell from her anyway, once she realized. Roses. He said the second part with extreme confidence, as if it was impossible not to understand what he meant. Kevin did not understand what he meant. Buy roses for her, the man with the burning horns clarified. Kevin thought about that. It felt like swimming through gelatin. He wasn't sure about roses after only two dates. It seems excessive. Do it anyway. He reached down into the water with both hands. The curtains snapped back shut. The set finished the way it had started, Vaughn playing and the rest of the band laying back. There was a pregnant moment at the very end where he wasn't playing anything, but nobody knew if he'd actually stopped. Then he looked up and relaxed. Applause, the women in the back hooting. Nobody had to say they were taking a break. Everybody knew. A few minutes later, Vaughn headed back up to the front of the bar. Where are my horses now? Where are my horses? One of the ladies from the pack and back came up to the stage and accepted the microphone. Cat and Kevin exchanged silent looks. Is this going to be karaoke or something? No, not exactly. The woman gave the band a song and sang. She was either a professional or good enough to be one. The other four that had shown up with her were all the same way. They sang songs, one after the other. Kevin brought flowers when he showed up at her place that Friday. Red roses. She opened the door saw him cradling that big bouquet in his right hand while he reached out with his left to knock on the door again, gasped, and grabbed them right out of Kevin's hands. Hello, he said, as she retreated back into her apartment with the flowers. Good evening. I've got to get these in water so they don't die. Wonderful to see you. She cut the ends off the roses and put them in a vase. Good to see you, too. You can come in. Kevin came in slowly, like he might set off a trap. He relaxed a little bit when he made it through the door. He looked around. There was a Highlander Season 3 set on a little table by the couch, with the discs stacked on top of each other on top of the cardboard box. Cat came back around and put the flowers down on another little table by the window. All right, let's go. 
they left the apartment and took his car to the party. Cat's friends were all there already. Kevin had heard about only bits and pieces of these people, and now, faced with all of them and hearing all their names, he didn't even think he could match the things he'd heard to the faces in front of him. He didn't want to be too friendly, he didn't want to be too hostile. He did the best he could. He pretended he was driving his truck, and each new voice to speak was the one climbing into his back seat and having a bad night. It went okay. There was one guy he got a bad vibe from. Nothing Kevin could put into words or call him on, if Kevin was even inclined to do that. He just felt acid dripping off every word coming out of the guy's mouth. But it wasn't a huge deal. He left not that long after Kevin and Kat showed up. At about the halfway point, Kevin made a joke and everybody laughed. An hour later, he couldn't remember what it was that he'd said. Kat tugged on Kevin's sleeve just before midnight. Kat hugged her goodbyes, and Kevin made do with a quick wave to the room, and they went back to her place. She never invited him up. He made no special effort to get in the door. Everything felt choreographed. They made out in the doorway, and then in the living room. They landed clumsily on her couch. She stopped kissing him so that she could whisper in his ear, You bought me flowers. She kissed him again and ran her hands up and down his back. And welcome back! I hope you enjoyed that one. My favorite thing about this story is how it frames the mundane as the fantastical, and in turn, the fantastical becomes the mundane. It has an almost mythological sensibility where the gods step down from their infinite capabilities to experience what truly mystifies them, the lives and loves of mortals, persisting despite their limitations to connect to each other and love one another. Of this story, Brendan told us the following. Both Fred Anderson, the unnamed doorman at the Velvet Lounge, and Von Freeman are real people who are no longer with us, but who both released many fine recordings over their lives. Timeless by Fred Anderson and The Great Divide by Von Freeman are both great. Both The Velvet Lounge and The New Apartment Lounge no longer feature music, but many of the people who used to play there play at Constellation a lot. Now let's go to our assistant editor, Khalida Muhammad Ali, for the episode feedback. Salam, good people. This is Khalida Muhammad Ali, assistant editor over here at PodCastle. Hope you've all been well. Feedback this week is for PodCastle episode 386, Flash Fiction Extravaganza, Ghostly Interludes. This episode was a three-piece special, only without the chicken and biscuit. I don't hear you laughing. Comments for this episode were mixed and well-reasoned. Bounce Swoosh says, regarding the spirit of Pinetop, I like the spirit of Pinetop in quite a lot, though the ending just felt too pat. I don't think I'd be happy with my husband stuck haunting my house. The story even alludes to the idea that ghosts should be able to move on. I liked everything about wet. Everything. It was delicious, and I savored it. I couldn't really get into the faces between us. Never really figured it out and didn't sit comfortably in the protagonist's head. I wanted to like it. I did like the language. 
but I just finished confused. Devoted 135 threw her opinion into the fray with this. The spirit of Pinetop Inn. I was really liking this one right up until the ending. The premise is fun, but I just can't see her being like, oh, perfect, a problem is solved, instead of, you know, mourning her husband. Wet, this one was great. I love the conceit of an immortal being befriending and helping ghosts. Awesome. The faces between us. Hmm. I honestly can't remember what it was about. And usually previous comments will jog my memory. But this time, everyone else is having the same problem. So. Father Beast had mixed opinions about the stories in this triplet. The Spirit of Pinetop Inn. This raises so many questions. How do you get ghosts to leave one place to go haunt another? How would you pay the ghosts anyway? And most importantly, of what use is a ghost that does not have a historical connection to the place being haunted? The solution at the end seemed a little pat though. Wet. Maybe a little confusing since I spent a lot of the story wondering just what kind of immortal the main character was. We are given so little in clues on the matter. Wide hips? What? Then I realized that I was enjoying the story so much that I really didn't care, and it didn't matter to the story anyway. Very fun and enjoyable. The Faces Between Us A couple of teenagers, or young adults if they're stoners, they could be in their 40s, try all sorts of weird stuff trying to tap into the mystic other whatever. This one pretty much lost me. By the time some sort of ghost contact was made, I had pretty much already checked out. Thank you for those comments. Let us know what you think of our stories by stopping by the Escape Artist Forum at forum.escapeartists.net. We would love to hear your thoughts. Well, that's it for now, but we'll be back next week. Hope to see you there. Peace. Thank you for those comments. Stop on by our forums and let us know what you thought of today's story. And while you're there, consider making a donation. Every single cent goes toward paying our authors so we can keep bringing you the best fantasy fiction week after week. And if you can't donate, consider blogging or tweeting about us and spreading the word. Well, that was our show this week. On behalf of everyone at PodCastle, our slushers Arun Jiwa, Sarah Goldman, Jennifer Albert, and Melissa Hooflick, our audio producer, Peter Wood, our forum moderators, Talia and Asukat, our assistant editor, Khalida Muhammad Ali, and your editors, Graham Dunlop, and myself. Thanks for letting us share another story with you. We'll be back next week with another. Until then, this is Rachel K. Jones, reminding you to bring the roses. Our closing quote comes from Doctor Who, where Kazrin Sardik said, On every world, wherever people are, in the deepest part of the winter, at the exact midpoint, everyone stops and turns and hugs, as if to say, Well done. Well done, everyone. We're halfway out of the dark. <laughs>